I want you to open in your Bibles with me today to Philippians chapter 3, if you are following along in our Bible journals that we gave out. By the way, if you did not get one, they are out on, uh, in Main Street on the lobby there. You can pick those up as you leave today, or you could slip out really quickly and grab one. It's page 64 that we're going to be starting in today uh, on this passage in Philippians chapter 3. And uh, I underscore like, like how important it is that we're studying God's Word uh, this past year so far, we started back in June, we walked through the entirety of the book of Revelation. We have walked through now Galatians and Ephesians, and, and we're now in the book of Philippians. We're moving into the book of Colossians next. It's important that we have an understanding of the Word of God because we live in a time, we live in a culture where everything is trying to push us away from truth and everything is trying to push us away from the Word of God. That's why, as Matt shared, we're having this conference these next two days here in this room where we're going to be talking about how to know who God is, how to know His Word, and how to stand up and defend it no matter what. And we have people like Alistair McGrath and Sam Chan and uh, Gary Habermas and um, uh, Gabe Lyons who grew up right here at Thomas Road, or, or internationally known speakers who are going to be here this week to speak to us and to talk to us on how to make sure that we can stand up for our faith. And so I just want to make sure you understand that conference is available to you and it is completely free and we encourage you to come out tomorrow and Tuesday. We have over a thousand pastors coming from around the world. We have a number, hundreds of chaplains who serve in our armed forces who will be here over the next couple of days and that we're going to just like underscore, like focus on, and, and just kind of double down on this idea that we must stand up for our faith in a time when it is desperately needed. Now, in this passage today in Philippians chapter 3 on page 64, or if you're following along in your phone or in your Bible, uh, go to verse uh, 13, if you will, or 14, I'm sorry, go to verse 14, and you'll see there in verse 14, it says, I press toward the goal, if you're reading in the New King James Version, uh, in the King James Version, it says, I press toward the mark, and other passages will be different word there, but I want you to circle or underline that word goal or mark, whichever it is in your uh, version that you're doing, because that is the key, the key word in this entire chapter in Philippians chapter 3. I press toward the goal. I press toward the mark. And the reason that is such an important word, we're going to get to in a few moments as we walk through this passage, but it, it literally gives us the idea and the picture of, of what we've entitled this sermon today is what are you looking at? Because the entire book of the book of Philippians, as we've talked about over the last couple of weeks, is written to a church that was, that was doing things right. They were focused on the right things. They were walking the right direction. They were, they were doing all the things that they should do, that they needed to do, that they need to make sure that they kind of stay strong. And that's what Paul is trying to encourage them. Like, like don't let people come in and, 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 and direct you a different way. Don't, don't let people come in and, and stop you from doing what you need to do. But this chapter 3 of the book of Philippians, of this letter that Paul writes to the church at Philippi, it really is uh, kind of, I think, one of the most encouraging and one of the most powerful uh, passages, chapters in all of Scripture, certainly in all of Paul's writings. It's one that I think today helps us to recognize and making sure that we are focusing on the right things. And so that's why I've entitled this sermon, What Are You Looking At? Because today there are so many distractions and so many things that, that, that divert our attention away from what really matters. And today, Paul writes in this passage of making sure that we're keeping our eyes fixed on the right thing. And so we're going to start in verse 1. We're just going to walk through the entire chapter as we have been doing over these past few months. 
And the first part of this passage in verses 1 to 3, uh, kind of the idea here is we must keep our eyes focused. Look what it says in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, it's important we read these first three verses. It starts with that word, finally. That word finally is a picture literally kind of means like, so now, now towards the rest of this, it kind of focuses on like, like, and here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to lean into. And he goes on to say uh, here, uh, rejoice in the Lord. Now remember now, this is like 30 plus years after Christ had died on the cross, after he had ascended into heaven. We know by other writings that Paul had that there were people who were actively working against the gospel, working against the local church, working against everything that, you know, that Paul had been preaching for all of these years. He knew that there were people trying to put an end to this idea that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died and that he rose again, and through him and him alone we find our salvation. So he knows this, and so he makes this statement, like, guys, if you want to, like, get to the finish line, if you want to get to the end, here's what you got to do. Rejoice in the Lord. In other words, even when it's tough, still rejoice in who God is. Even when it's difficult, find joy in Christ. Even when everything is falling apart, what you must do, what you must keep your eyes focused on is rejoicing in the only one who can bring you victory and the only one who can bring you salvation. He goes on to say in in the next part of this uh, verse, Hey, listen, I come back and I say it to you again, and it's not like tedious. In other words, it's like, hey, I'm not just like being redundant here. I'm not like saying it over and over again here, but I just want you to get it and understand how truly valuable it is. And he goes on to verse two, beware of the dogs. Now, he's not talking about like dogs that are running through the streets, even though in that day, uh, dogs were looked at as dirty animals and no one wanted to be around them. No one, they were scavengers. No one wanted to have dogs in their, in their neighborhoods, in their, in their yards. They didn't have pets like we have today. Dogs were a, a, a dirty thing. And so he says, beware of the dogs. Again, not talking about animals. He's talking about people. He's talking about people who are trying to stop the message of the gospel. And he uses three different statements here to talk about those people uh, in a hyperbolic way. He says, don't uh, beware the dogs, beware the evil workers, beware the mutilation. Three times he focuses on this idea like watch out for these people. And I'm telling you today, again, what are you looking at? I'm telling you today, it's no different than it was 2,000 years ago. And I would say to you, beware of those people who are trying to denigrate take down, stop, water down, completely destroy the message of the Word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ because they are here in our age today, they're here in our culture today, they are here in our city today, and at times they are in our church today because they want to stop this message of the gospel. They want to make it where, hey, we're all working to the same place. Like we all have different gods, but we're all kind of on the same path and we're all on the same journey. No, we are not. There is but one God, and that is the God of heaven and earth. That is the God of the Bible. And no matter what other religions might say, there is only one true God. We're not all working to the same place. 
Now, our mission is to get people to the same place. Our job is to make sure we are sharing with people who Christ is and what Christ has done. And that it is through faith in Christ alone that we find our salvation. And here, Paul underscores, like, beware of those people because they will shut you down. They will stop you. More importantly, they will destroy you. It's interesting that he uses the word in this third description of characterization of these people. He uses like, watch out, beware of the mutilation. Now, what's he talking about? What he's talking about, again, and we talked about it in Galatians, is that that group of Judaizers who were trying to say that, yes, Christ is is an important part of salvation, but you must go back and submit yourself under the law. They were talking about actually circumcision, which was an important part of the law, going all the way back to Genesis chapter 17, when God told Abraham that you will be circumcised in order to be a part of, of my people. And so what he's saying here is like, hey, beware the mutilation. In other words, what at one time, Genesis chapter 17, was a very holy and a very specific command of God that you were to be circumcised, to be under the law, to follow the law. Here, Paul actually calls it mutilation. He calls it damaging. He calls it something you should stay away from. Why? How can that be that he could take something that God commanded back thousands of years before and how here he, he can actually use it in a denigrating term? Here's why. Because Christ came to fulfill the law. What was once required, it was paid for in full through Christ and Christ alone. In other words, we don't have to go back. We read about it a few weeks ago in Galatians chapter 4. In that passage where Paul said, why in the world would you want to go back to the old way of doing things? Why in the world would you want to go back to live under that law, that whole idea, that picture of like doing all the things that you had to do to try to work your way to be good enough, to be holy enough, to be worthy, to be in the presence of God? Why would you want to go back there when God himself opened the door and changed the narrative? And the people of that day were trying to make sure that, hey, if you're going to follow Christ, that's great, but you also have to do this. Today, they're doing the exact same thing. Hey, you want to follow Christ? That's great, but you got to do this. You want to be a Christian? Great, but you got to do this too. In other words, it's, it's Christ plus. And any time that you find your salvation or value your salvation based on Christ plus anything, here's what you are doing. You are saying that the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is not enough to save me. You are saying that the cross of Christ is not good enough. You're saying that Jesus is not enough. And here Paul says it, and all of Scripture says it, Jesus is enough, period, end of story. And so Paul's saying, like, beware of these people because they're going to try to mess you up and, and slow you down and stop you from growing in your faith. And he says here, like, those people are not doing it right. We are doing it right. We're the ones who are worshiping God in spirit. We're the ones that are rejoicing in Christ Jesus. And we have no confidence in our flesh. In other words, we know it is not from what we could do. We could never be good enough, smart enough, kind enough. We could never serve enough, love enough. We could never do anything enough to be worthy, to be in the presence of God. And God himself even told us that. In the Old Testament, he made it clear. Like, hey, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground, he told Moses. When the tabernacle came, the holy of holies were there. No one was allowed near. When the temple was built, the high priest could only enter that place 
one time a year, and if he did it in any way, shape, or form, exactly not the way that God told him to do it, he would be struck dead in that spot and in that moment if he was not ready to be there. No one could be good enough. But now here we recognize we don't have confidence in our flesh. We don't have confidence in our abilities. We don't have confidence in how good we are. We only have confidence in Christ and Christ alone. This was 2,000 years ago. Nothing has changed. There's not a person in this room that could ever be good enough. There's not a person in this room that could ever serve enough. There's not a person in this room that could ever be kind enough or, or, or loving enough or serve. Like no one in this room could ever get there. We do not have a confidence in ourselves. We have confidence in Christ and Christ alone. And recognizing this, keeping our eyes focused on Christ, keeping our eyes focused on what really matters, uh, he echoes this in verses 17. If we jump down towards the end of the chapter and it says, brethren, join in following my example. He's saying, guys, hey, listen, do what I'm doing here and note those who so walk. In other words, note those who are walking the right way as you have us for a pattern for many walk of whom I've told you often. In other words, I've warned you plenty of times. And now I tell you even weeping, crying as he's writing these words that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Now what he's saying here is that there are people who are going to try to mess this thing called worshiping Christ. They're going to try to mess it up. They're going to try to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. They're going to try to infiltrate the body of Christ. And they're going to try to change the narrative away from what Christ said and to make it what, what they are saying. And here's what he says here. He says that their end is destruction whose goal is their belly. In other words, that's kind of a, a way of saying a phraseology there that Paul uses to say all they care about is their own physical desires. All they care about is what they want. It kind of gives this idea here like, hey, you know, the, the, all they're worried about is what they can consume and what can be about them and what they want to have. Their God is their belly. But then also it says this, talking about these Judaizers, these people who are talking about going back to the old way and whose glory is in their flesh or glory is in their shame. The Old Testament law really was about shame. The entire 613 laws that are found in the Old Testament all kind of point to the picture, point to the narrative of this, is that you are not good enough. And you can't be good enough. And that's why that they were you know, sacrificing animals over and over and over again because they knew there's no way they could ever follow all of those laws and do it exactly the way that God did. And he's saying, listen, their God, their glory is their shame. In other words, it's like we are not good enough and we're just going to keep working and working and working until we are. And here Christ is over here like, wait a minute, I already took care of that. And Paul wants them to not lose sight of that great truth. And so he makes it clear. Richard Mellick says it this way, they apparently followed him about, these people who were trying to mess up the story of what Paul was preaching. They apparently followed him about seeking to entice people away from the truth. Doubtless, repeated efforts to counter that brought on fatigue. Second, he called them enemies of the cross. That statement must mean more than that they refused to accept the cross as God's way of reconciliation. Rather, it means that they actively opposed the message of the cross and hindered those who would take advantage of its work 
Paul cherished the cross. For him, the fact that the false teachers did not revealed who they were. Here he talks about enemies of the cross who are actively working to denigrate the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through him. Today, in 2023, the same exact thing happens over and over and over again. The enemies of the cross of Christ are not only equal to what they were then, they are more powerful than they were then, they are louder than they were then, they are more determined than they were then, and they are trying to stop what we do in this room even still today. And there are countries around the world, we've seen it in these last couple of days, where people would literally give their lives, that they would martyr themselves, so to speak, to stop this preaching, this message of the gospel. Enemies of the cross of Christ, and we had better keep our eyes focused. And keep our eyes focused on what? Well, that brings us to the next part in verse four. Keep our eyes on what matters. Look what he says here. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh. In other words, I, like, I might be like them if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh. I more so. And then he begins to give his resume of why he should be in the same camp as these people who were enemies of the cross. He goes on in verse 5. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews concerning the law a Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. In other words, he gives this this eight-point resume here like, listen, hey, I'm telling you, not only was I one of them, I was the best of them. Like, I worked diligently to do what they are still doing today. I wanted to stop the message of the gospel. I wanted to put down the church. I wanted to destroy this message that Jesus was enough. And man, I did it with fervor. I did it with zeal. Man, I was trained. I was one of the Pharisees. Like, like I worked to persecute the church. He doesn't say it here, but he does in other places. And I even killed to stop the message of the gospel. But then listen what he ends it with. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ, Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, trash, things that I would throw out. In other words, the things that we think that we have to do to be good enough, to, be, to earn the right to be worthy in the presence of God. He says, I count that stuff as trash. Why? Because Christ circumvents it all. He goes on to say, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, and underscore, not good enough, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. In other words, he says this, listen, I did all of this stuff 
to try to stop the message of the gospel, to thinking at the time that that's what I had to do to be worthy to be in the presence of God. I worked and I worked and I worked and I did it the best that I possibly could and I wanted to rise to the highest levels of that working uh, to make sure that everyone recognized who I am and who I was and what I did, that they would celebrate me. And I recognize now all of it was a waste of time. It is nothing but trash. I would throw it in the dumpster if I could. I would go back and rewrite my story. I would go back and change the narrative of my life. I can't, but today it is all lost. Why? Because all I want to know is the power of Christ, to know Him and His death and resurrection. I want to know Jesus because He is all that I need. Can you say that about your life? Is that a narrative, a story that you could say like, yeah, that's, that's really who I want to be? Now, let's be honest. None of us are going to get it right all the time. None of us are going to be perfect. None of us are going to like knock it out of the park in this walk, this journey with Christ. But can you sit back and think like, hey, all I want to know is I want to know Christ. I want to know Him crucified, Him risen again. I want to know the fellowship of his suffering so that I can recognize what he did for me because that is what I want to keep my eyes on. I want to keep my eyes on what truly matters. Dwight L. Moody said this, we know what it is to lose health and wealth and reputation. But what is the loss of all these things compared with the loss of the soul? In other words, nothing really matters in this life. Not how much money you have, not how much power you have, not what your job is or what your career is or what your degrees are. All of those things, they're nice and they're good and we keep moving to, we want to do better, we want to be successful and we want to do it for Christ to, to bring Him glory and honor and we're put here for a reason. But when it comes right down to it, all of that stuff does not really matter. Why? Because it is all about Christ. So then what do we do? Well, here's what we do. Verse 12, we keep our eyes looking forward. Look what he says in verse 12. Not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind and searching forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think, and in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. In other words, let's be together. Let, let's be in, in harmony with one another and let's focus on the right things. Let's forget what is behind and let's move forward. Let's keep our eyes focused on what is ahead. In this passage in verse 12, he says, but I press on. There are people in this room today that you are discouraged in your faith journey. You're discouraged in your walk with Christ because you have not figured out how to press on. That you've allowed the storms of life, which are many, You've allowed the challenges which seem to be overwhelming. You've allowed the, the difficulties and even the opposition that we see and that we face every day as followers of Jesus Christ. You've allowed that stuff to stop you. 
You've allowed that stuff to keep you down. You've allowed that stuff to discourage you. You've allowed that stuff to to be a weight, to be a burden, to be a, a cross that you bear. And God never intended for you to walk through this life like being completely overwhelmed by the junk of this world. He says this, press on. How do I press on? Forget what is behind and keep your eyes fixed on what is ahead. Keep your eyes looking forward. And then in that verse, he says, and I press on, press on toward the goal. In other words, like I'm running for what God has already promised that he's going to give to me. Now that word goal, at the beginning of the sermon, you'll remember I had you underline that, highlight that, uh, circle that in your notes. Why? Key word for this entire chapter. And that's the, the Greek word scopus. The, the, the picture literally of kind of a, of a looking glass, kind of the idea, it's where we get the word telescope. The idea of like tele, far, scope, looking, uh, observing, watching, having this picture of recognizing and understand like a a watchman who is watching from a distance exactly what's ahead, the goal that is in view. We have this idea, this picture of this word. He says, I press on towards the goal. It's not like a goal, like a, you know, a trophy. It's not a goal, like something I can get right now. It literally is like the idea of I press on towards the thing that I'm looking at that is far in the distance, that mark that is way out there, and I'm looking at it with a telescope, seeing it, and I'm heading in that direction. And it's way out there, and without the lens of God in my life, without the lens, looking through the lens that Christ provides, I would never be able to see it. Now, to give you kind of a picture, an illustration of what that kind of needs to be focused on in our own journeys, it's kind of like the idea, like if you ever go out and you're looking at wildlife and, you know, wildlife are naturally afraid of of human beings. Um, I, I've got this hobby that I've gone all the way back, Kevin, you remember, it's back in high school of taking pictures of photography. It's something I've always loved to do. And uh, a few years ago, I, you know, I got some, uh, you know, taking pictures of family and that kind of stuff, but, but I got some long lenses so I could like actually go out and try to get photos of, of animals out in the wild. Uh, maybe going to Yellowstone, which I've done several times with my kids and, and watching, you know, bears and watching the, you know, the eagles and all those kinds of things that are way in the distance. And, and you got to have those long lenses because if you went out to Yellowstone and tried to, you know, pick up a bear that's 300 yards away, you can't do this. You can, but it's not going to show up. It's not going to be anything that you want. Well, this past summer, I was actually out in Bedford County where I live. And, and as I was out there and, and I just happened to stumble upon a nest of eagles. I didn't even know they were there, had no idea they were there. It literally just kind of shocked me. And so I went and got my camera and I got my big long 600 millimeter lens and went out to try to get some photos of this, of this eagle. And I'm sitting there and, and you know, trying and looking for it, trying to find it. And, and I finally found the spot where the nest is. And I was able to get this picture here of that eagle, the majestic animal, a beautiful animal. And that's right here in Bedford County. So right here where we live. And it's hard to believe they're here, but they're here. And I was able to find that nest and I've gone back multiple times since. My family is so sick of that eagle <laughs> because there have been multiple times where I've been, my, my family's been with me and they have literally just sat there with arms crossed while I'm taking hundreds and hundreds of photos of that same eagle. And by the way, it's not like it wears different clothes every day. It's not like, you know, it's the same eagle. It looks always the same way. I promise you, I have about 2,000 photos of that eagle and it's, and it's mate. There, there's two. There's a, a, a pair of nesting eagles there. 
uh, and I've got thousands of pictures of this eagle. Now, here's what I know about that eagle. One time I tried to do it, and this might be illegal what I'm about to tell you, so if it is, I'm sorry, and, and I, don't, I don't know if it, I shouldn't tell you. I guess I probably I don't think about this ahead of time, but, but so one time I actually tried to walk up a lot closer to that eagle. I tried to get like really, really close so I could get a close-up photo, like, like just of the eyes, you know? And so I, I'm walking up closer and closer, and that eagle, you see those eyes there, uh, it started looking directly at me. And I got some photos of it looking directly at me. And so I get closer and closer, and, and I don't know how close I was, but there was a point where the eagle said, yeah, I'm done with you, and it took off and flew away. That's the part I think is illegal, because I don't think you're allowed to, the, 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 I think the right term is not allowed to, to annoy or, or whatever the eagles. And so I backed up really quick. So if, I was, if it was illegal, I quickly corrected it, and I'm sorry, forgive me, eagle, okay? Um, and I never did it again, I only did it one time. And so now I, I do it from a distance. Now here's the whole point of all this, right? There's no way that I'm going to get a photo like that by walking up close to that eagle, because it's going to fly away. It's going to disappear, and it's not going to be anywhere near where I am. I can't get that photo unless, unless I have a really long lens to be able to do it. So I had a 600 millimeter lens, and I was able to get that photo, and I was a long way away, probably 100 yards away, if not more, from that eagle when I got this shot. And, and I, I've got thousands of photos taken from that lens. I would not have been able to take those photos if it were not for that lens. Here's the key. Here's the key. That's the same idea that Paul gives us in verse 14. I press toward the goal, the scopus, the, that, that, that look, that long look, that far out distant look of what God has in store for me. And what is that goal? It is not accomplishment here. It is not money here. It is not status here. It's not doing anything of value here. Here's where the value is. Here's where the goal is. Here's where the mark is. It's what God promised through His Son, Jesus, when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am you may be also. My goal, my mark, my mission, my long view of where I'm going, my scopus, the, the where I'm headed, that is not on this earth. It is in heaven for eternity. That is what we must be looking Long distance. Now, I don't know how long it is away. I'm 57. I pray it's a long way away. I, don't, I, I have no desire to die and go to heaven, even though I'm glad I will. And one day I'll probably look forward to it. I'm hoping I'm 99, like, please, Lord, take me now. I'm not saying that now. I love my family too much. I love this church too much. I love life too much. I, I, I want to be here. But here's what I know. Regardless of when that time comes, I know this. That is what I'm running towards. It's heaven. Other scriptures tell us, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, all athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away but we do it for an eternal prize. Matthew, Jesus said it himself in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 19 of chapter 6, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on this earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be 
also. It makes it very clear. Keep our eyes looking forward, forgetting what is past and looking towards the goal of looking for what's ahead. Which brings us to the last two verses that we're going to look at today. And the idea here is we must keep our eyes on him. To keep our eyes on him. Verse 20, for our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Look what it says in those two verses. Man, you ought to get your pens and get your highlighter and whatever. Look what it says. Our citizenship in heaven. Who, verse 21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Man, you ought to highlight that, underline that, circle that 12 times. That he is going to take this broken down body in which we live. This body that gets sick. This body that gets hurt. This body that is made fun of. This body that people will mock. This body that that runs into challenge and division. This body that gets attacked on Facebook. This body that gets attacked on Twitter. This body that people laugh at when you talk about Christ. This body that's always having difficulties of paying bills. This body that that, that is going to doctors and getting bad reports. This body that that has issues with people and relationship challenges and all the things that seem to be so overwhelming. This body, this lowly body in which we walk today... That one day because of Christ, it will be transformed into his glorious body. And there we will be for all of eternity. We do not need to worry about the pain of this life when we keep our eyes fixed on him, recognizing the promise and the hope and the joy of what lies ahead. That is what God has in store for us. And so this entire chapter, which is why I said at the beginning, is one of the the greatest chapters, certainly of Paul's writings, of all the 13 letters that he wrote in the New Testament. Like like this chapter speaks volumes to the hope that we have, that it is all about Christ. So what are you looking at? Because so often we allow ourselves to be so distracted by the things of today, by the needs of tomorrow, by the hurts of the past, by the mistakes of yesterday. And we allow ourselves to be so overwhelmed by the storm in which we live that we quickly will lose sight of the unbelievable, of the incredible, of the amazing promise that God extended to us when his only son laid down his life for you. So Paul says, don't let that happen. This is not your home. So let me give you four quick points of application. Four just quick statements, quick brief little words, little phrases. I encourage you to get your pen out. To be fair to our graphics team up there, um, it's, they didn't mess up by not getting them on the screen. I texted it to them when I sat down. So I, I came up with this like at the beginning of the, sermon, of the service today. And so uh, they don't have them on the screen for this service, uh, mainly because they got them um, shortly before you're going to get them, Okay. 
And that's because I got it shortly before they got it. So it's, it's four quick points. So get your pen out, and I want you to write these down. Four, four quick things of putting this chapter into action in our lives, okay? The first one is this. Don't beat yourself up. Forget what's behind. Now, that's not a simplistic statement. It's not a statement that, that we make that like, you know, oh, you know, just forget about what's yesterday. You know, that's just yesterday's problems and, you know, move on. That's what God himself says through his word. Forget what is behind. Paul wrote those words, forget what is behind. So don't beat yourself up. How many in the past have made a mistake? Raise your hand. Yep, my hand's up too. We all have. And here's what I will say to you. With hands raised, you don't need to raise yours. Mine's still up. I'm representing you right now, okay? The, the, the mistakes of my past do not define the success of my future. The mistakes of yesterday do not determine the good of tomorrow. So don't beat yourself up. Number two, press on. Actively pursuing better. Press on. Actively pursuing, and I put it in quotes, better. Because better can mean a lot of different things. Better means this, is that your hope and your desire should be, I want to be closer to God tomorrow than I was yesterday. That's better. That I want to be closer to God a year from now than I am right now. That's better. That I want to be holier in my journey. Not holy, because we'll never be holy till we get to heaven. Holier in my journey a year from now than I am today. That's better. That I want to treat my wife better in the year to come than I have in the year past. My wife would say, amen, brother. That's better. So many things in your journey, I promise you this, there's not a person in this room that if you did stock, did an inventory of your life, there's not a person in this room that say, you know what, it'd be hard for me to really be better. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm nailing it. It's awesome. I'm incredible. I'm the absolute best. Now, let's be honest. There are some people in this room who think that, and there are definitely some people in this room that exude that. but there's not a person in this room for whom that's true. So actively pursue better. Third thing, don't get discouraged or dissuaded. Don't get discouraged or dissuaded. Dissuaded, by the way, is D-I-S-S-U-A-D-E-D, okay? And here's what that means. It means this, two words, discouraged, dissuaded. Discouraged is internal, dissuaded is external. Discouraged is, man, I messed up. Man, life is tough. I don't know if I can do this. I see that person over there. Look how successful they are. Man, and I'm not getting there. That, that is a, a, a lie that Satan will use to make you feel like you're not good enough. Do not be discouraged. That's internal, what you believe about yourself. Here's what you need to believe about yourself. What God says about you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. You are God's masterpiece. You are God's handiwork. God created you. And he didn't say it was good. He said, you are very good. And God ought to know what very good looks like, don't you think? So don't get discouraged. The second word, dissuaded. Dissuaded means allowing someone else to shut you down. 
Allowing someone else to stop you. Allowing someone else to discourage you. Allowing someone else to make you feel like you're not good enough. Don't be discouraged internal. Don't be dissuaded external. When someone is constantly beating you up and telling you you're not good enough and you're not kind enough and there's no way you're going to amount to anything and you have no value whatsoever, here's what ought to be in your mind. Your mind should not be, I wonder if they're right. Your mind should be, uh-uh, God created me and I'm absolutely a masterpiece in God's eyes, and I don't care what you say. That is, this group over here, like, yes, that's awesome. You guys are awesome. Yeah, so that is exactly what you need to do. Recognize, like, don't be discouraged by what you think, but don't you dare be discouraged by what they think. Because here's what you need to know. What they think does not matter. What matters is what does God think. When God is looking at you, what does he see? When God is looking at you, what does he think? When God is looking at you, can he honestly say, well done? Fourth thing, remember who wins. Remember who wins. And as this passage tells us, as scripture tells us, as all of God's word tells us, the battle's already over. And Christ has won. And one day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be a day when the Hamas terrorist will have to kneel on their knees and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. There is a day when every atheist who's ever spoken will get on their knees and say, Jesus Christ is Lord. There is a day when every person who has hurt you, every person who's attacked you, every person who has mocked you for your faith, they will have to get on their knees and they will say, Jesus Christ is Lord. If that's true, and it is according to God's word, then keep your head held high because Christ wins. Let's pray. God, thank you for the encouragement that we find in chapter three of this book, of Philippians, this letter to a church. God, we thank you that you breathe these words into the hand of Paul and that he shares them with us from your heart to ours. God, so that we will be focused, that we will keep our eyes looking the right direction, that we will run towards you. And and God, that we will always be encouraged no matter what this world might throw at us, God, because you, you are on the throne and no one else. And so, God, I pray today for every person in this room. I know there are some people here today who have allowed themselves to be discouraged, who have allowed themselves to be dissuaded. God, I pray that in this moment today, God, encourage their hearts and help them to, to recognize and see their worth and their value to you. And their worth and their value to you is that you would send your son Jesus to die for them. God, I know there are some people here today that have never entered into a relationship with you. they never come to that place where they've recognized, God, who you are and what you've done. And so, God, I pray that right now in this moment, Lord, they would recognize that, God, that you love them. And because you love them, Christ died for them. And because Christ died for them, that their sins were paid for on the cross. And because Christ rose again, that they can rise in life and salvation through believing in Christ and Christ alone. God, I pray that today would be the day of salvation for them. God, we give you the praise in advance.
with our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. We're going to end our service here today in just a moment. And when we do, our team is gathering here at the front. We do this every Sunday. They're going to be across the front of this room. In fact, you know what? I told you, heads bowed. Everybody look at me right now. Just everybody look up at me right now. So our team is going to be gathered here. And, and here's what I, I want, as you look at here, I know that there are some eyes that are looking at me right now, that you're walking through this life discouraged, that you're walking through this life feeling as you're not good enough. You've been beat on so much and beat up so much that you're sitting there thinking like, man, I just can't do this. In a moment when this service ends, I don't want you to walk to the back. I want you to walk to the front. Because there are some people in the front of this room, like this guy right here, Tom Friedis, and people like Mike Stidham, and people like Esther over here, and, and Ron over there, and Lewis over there, and, and people like, like, like this guy here who, who's just awesome, Grace. I mean, he would love to pray with you and to talk with you. People like Ed over here. Man, there are people, listen, that today would love to wrap their arm around you at this altar, kneel here, and tell you, you know what? God loves you. Forget what's behind. Turn it around today. Isn't that the beauty of the faith journey that we have with Christ? That you can turn it around today. That you don't have to figure out how to do it a year from now or two years from now. There are no steps that you have to climb. There are no journey you've got to walk. There are no uh, you know, things that you have to, hoops you have to jump through. That Jesus said, if you confess your sins, that he's faithful and just to forgive you. And to cleanse you from all, you can turn it around today. There are people here today that need to come to this altar in a moment and deal with some of these guys. There are people here today. There are people here today who have never met this God of whom I'm talking today. And you're sitting there, maybe you've heard about him once, or maybe you've heard about him a thousand times. And here's what I want you to know. God loves you. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. The world means you. The world means terrorist. The world means atheist. The world means people who have denigrated and, and condemned the name of Christ. The world, God loves the world. And today, it means you. And he loves you so much that he gave his only son, Jesus, who died on the cross for you. He paid for your sins once and once and for all. Done. And today, in a moment, you need to come down here and grab one of these people at this altar and just say, listen, I want to meet that God. Because i got to be honest with you, if I didn't know God, and somebody stood up and told me that there's a God who loves me, and there's a God who loves me enough that he wants to spend eternity with me in a place called heaven, which is amazing, and a God who wants to save me from eternity in hell, which is not amazing, like, like the, the, the place that's horrific, a place where there's eternal suffering. Like, like if someone told me there's a God who wants to spend eternity with you and save you from the pit of hell, here's what I would say. It's like, hey, tell me about that God. And this team down here would love to tell you about that God if you don't know him. So God, right now, I pray for the people who just listened to what I've shared. And God, if people fall into those categories, I pray right now. In a moment, they will walk to the Psalter and they'll say, hey, listen, I want to turn things around. Or hey, I want to, I want to hear about that God. I want to know what Christ did for me. God, I pray that you'll do that work today. For every person in this room, I pray, God, that we will forget what is behind and that we will keep pressing towards the mark. Keep our eyes fixed on what's ahead. Because God, we know you've already won. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
The altar's open. We'd love to talk with you, pray with you. God bless you. Read Philippians 4 for next Sunday. Thank you for worshiping with us today. We're so glad you joined us. If you prayed to receive Christ today, we'd love to hear from you. We want to help you as you begin this journey of faith in Jesus Christ. So send us an email to the address on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. Likewise, if you've never accepted God's free gift of salvation, the forgiveness of sins made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus, but you'd like to know more, well, we're here to help you. So just reach out to us. We'd love to tell you more. Our mission at Thomas Road is to change our world by developing Christ followers who love God and love people. And if you'd like to help us fulfill that mission by giving to our ministry, then go to the link on your screen and make your contribution today. Help us help others with the life-changing truth of God's love.